in my life, in my song, in your church, Lord, be glorified. What a great thing to sing together here at the beginning of this new God-given week. Thank you so much for being here. I invite you to open a Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. You might keep a marker there, a little piece of paper in Matthew 16. We will repeatedly come back to that passage throughout our time together in God's Word. There will be other passages projected on the screen above me, but I'd love for us to read from Matthew 16 together in just a few moments. We have many guests with us. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and we hope that our time in God's Word will be encouraging to you. It will make you think and set the tone, hopefully, for this new week that God has provided all of us. A little bit of research unveils that there are certain substantial building projects over the course of human history that are readily acknowledged wherever, whenever you live. These are among the greatest, the most substantial. I did a little bit of digging, looking at a variety of sources, and from the vantage point of 2023, these were the ones that just source after source after source rose to the top as the greatest, sometimes the most expensive, most substantial, memorable building projects in all of human history. You'll hear source after source about the Great Wall of China, the Pyramids of Giza, the Roman Colosseum, the Taj Mahal, the Panama Canal, the Hoover Dam, that great skyscraper in Dubai, the tallest skyscraper in the world at this point, the International Space Station, and others. These are the things that human beings look to as our greatest building achievements. What I'd like to do with you this morning is to look at a very different in nature, but even greater building project. In fact, it is the greatest, most substantial, most far-reaching and impactful building project of all. And in order to do that, we've got to go back in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, to a very specific scene in Jesus' life and in the life of his disciples, where he took them about 30 miles north, about 25 miles outside of their comfort zone. They weren't used to going into this territory as Jews. This was thoroughly pagan, Gentile territory. This is where idols were worshipped. This is where idol worshippers lived. This was a, a place known for the worship of 
Pan, that Roman god of the hills and the forests. In fact, this area was known for a great grotto carved out in, in the midst of this enormous cliff face. And, and today all that we can see are archaeological remains. But as we reconstruct those archaeological remains, this is probably what it looked like when Jesus led his disciples into what for a very long time had been a place of idol worship, now it belonged to Caesar. In fact, it bore Caesar's name. It was Caesar's capital in this part of the world. And that is what Matthew is drawing our attention to in Matthew 16. If you begin reading with me in verse 13. Matthew 16 Verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was. Christ. We're going to look at a variety of passages of Scripture and we're going to look at them quickly. I've given you all of the references in the bulletin if you'd like to go back and dig a little deeper. But what I would love to do is just treat Matthew 16, 18 as the hub of so much else that is talked about, talked all revolving around this great hub. It is talked about theoretically. It is talked about from the standpoint of you, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, anybody can be a part of what was started right here in Matthew 16, 18. And so I might have you go a couple of different other places in your Bibles, but we're going to come back over and over again just to the language, trying to understand what Jesus meant, what was started right here in Matthew 16, 18. He starts with, I. It is Christ's church. 
And so a couple of weeks ago, we spent time in Colossians chapter 1, thinking about what was started, leading us ultimately to the church. We heard the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 verse 15 say, He is the image, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Notice the reference that we just briefly read over a few weeks ago. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Matthew 16, 18, I, it is Christ's church. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Doesn't that point us, even Colossians 1 verse 20, to His will? I will. It is Christ's purpose. And so we hear him in John chapter 12 when there are some Greeks who would like an audience with Jesus. They come to Philip. They ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip goes and tells Andrew and together they both go and they tell Jesus. And I want you to listen to what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so he says in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose. I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. John tells us that then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And John wants to make sure we understand. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up from the earth. Just a few pages later as he stands before one of these Roman governors, Pilate. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord or do others say it to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate asks. 
Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? To which Jesus responds, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So, you are a king, Pilate asks. And Jesus answers, you say that I am king. Here it is again. I will. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Open your Bibles with me where we'll read together in just a moment in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read together from Ephesians chapter 1. We're listening to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. I, it is Christ's church, will, it is Christ's purpose. I will build, it is Christ's work. We'll read from Ephesians 1 in just a moment. You can read from 1 Timothy chapter 3 up here on the screen with me where Paul writes to young Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. What did we hear Jesus say? I've come for this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Doesn't it make sense then that if this is Christ's purpose, if this is Christ's church, and we would be involved in Christ's work, that we would serve by God's design as a pillar and support of the truth. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my. You see, it is Christ's possession. Is your Bible open there to Ephesians? Paul, all over this glorious letter to the Ephesians, draws attention to these truths. Look at verse 9, where our attention is being drawn to the mystery of God's will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Jesus is the ultimate starting point. Things are united in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so, in Ephesians 1.19, He draws our attention to the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under the feet of Christ and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His 
body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Next chapter, Ephesians 2, verse 19. Speaking of the impact that this work, the work of Christ, can have on anybody's life. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To play a part in doing Christ's work. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church I. It is Christ's church will. It is Christ's purpose. Build. It is Christ's work. My. It is Christ's possession. And now, through that possession, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Is it any wonder that he draws this long description to a close by saying, To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. That's what we've sung together this morning. In my life, In our song, in your church, Lord, be glorified. In Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I will build my church. You can say right there in Ephesians, look at chapter 5, where Paul makes it abundantly clear. Listen, this is Christ's body no one ever hated his own flesh romans or ephesians 5 29 but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body staying right there in that same chapter it is christ's bride Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. It is Christ's kingdom. 
And so Paul writes to those in Colossae, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This is what was started in Matthew 16, 18. I, it's Christ's church, will, it is Christ's purpose, Build, it is Christ's work. My, it is Christ's possession. Church, it's Christ's body, His bride, His kingdom. And He promises in Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, it is Christ's victory over the greatest power that could possibly be raised against any of us, any human being. The power of sin and death. It's a curious phrase there in Matthew 16, 18, until we start thinking like someone who lived in ancient times. We understand if you're going to conquer and take the spoils of a city, the first thing you've got to get by are the gates. Of that city. And even in the Old Testament, it could be used metaphorically. And so in Isaiah 38, Hezekiah, king in Judah, hears that he's going to die at a, a relatively young age. And as he processes what that means, he poetically says, In the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I'm going to pass through the gates of death, and I'm not going to be able to come back. I'm going to be held within those gates. That's what happens to human beings, right? Until Jesus comes and promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How? Because like that seed he referenced in the Gospel of John, he died. He was planted in the ground and only when a seed dies and comes in contact with that soil, does it actually come alive and bear fruit? The reason we are gathered on this first day of the week is because no power of hell, no scheme of man, no gate, no sin, not death itself could keep Jesus in the grave. The writer of Hebrews says, we partake in flesh and blood, and so he partook of flesh and blood so that through death, he passes through those gates and bursts out of those gates three days later that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So go back to where you marked your Bibles in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 16. Just lines after what we read together 
at the start of our sermon. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, Matthew tells us, Matthew was there. He heard this with his, with his own words, or his own ears. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What do you mean you must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed? To fulfill the most glorious, far-reaching stretches of what started in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus went into the belly of the lion's den. And he laid down his life. And he showed no power of hell, no scheme of man is going to thwart God's purpose. But I want you to see in your Bibles that he does not just talk about what he was going to do 2,000 years ago in Matthew 16, 24. Start reading with me about what was true of ordinary men and women in the first century and can be true of anybody in the 21st century. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen to verse 25. For whoever would save his life, whoever would hold on to just what I can see and hold and achieve in and of myself. That, that's what life is all about. Just me and everything that I can enjoy and everything that I can have right now. You know Jesus is telling you the truth this morning. You know deep in your heart, the older you get, the more you feel. It is like we are just marching toward the sunset, and then it's all done. Can't take anything with me. Maybe it's all been for naught. But would you also see that Jesus is telling us the truth? That if we are his disciples, we are not declining towards the setting of the sun. We are traveling, we are following, we are running towards the dawn of the sun. Toward what really matters. What really endures because of Christ's victory. So we've got just a few minutes left. How can I finish what was started 
in Matthew 16, 18. That's our focal point for the year. Finish what was started. And we briefly noted, okay, what was started. I, it is Christ's church. Will, it's Christ's purpose. Build, it's Christ's work. My, it's Christ's possession. Church, it is Christ's body, His bride, His kingdom. How can I, for my part, finish what was started? Go back in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. It's Christ's church. My creator has every right to tell me and to tell you, you need to be a part of Christ's church. That's where the apostles lead people just weeks after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 or 23, Peter draws their attention to this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God had a purpose. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But this was all a part of God's eternal purpose. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible. No gate of hell, no gate of Sheol or Hades, no scheme of man could hold Jesus in the grave. And so in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, the Son didn't set on Jesus Jesus made the sun rise on new possibilities for anyone who will listen to this message. Verse 37, they're cut to the heart and they ask, is there anything that we can do? And the answer in verse 38, I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. The very people who killed the Son of God are told, repent, turn around, be baptized, every one of you. In His name, it's His purpose, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation and those who received his word they were baptized they were buried in water full of faith in in these spirit provided words and they were added to something Added, as far as human eyes could see, to the, the number of believers. Do you know what else they were added to? Christ's church. It's what he described as being born again. Born of water and the Spirit. Uh, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. You're, you're born into this church. Not physically, not on the basis of who your parents were 
or their achievements. You're, you're born again, full of faith, buried in water for the forgiveness of sins, readily confessing in Christ alone, my hope is found. It's Christ's purpose. Okay, so for, for my part, what do I need to do to, to finish what was started? Doesn't it make sense that I have to align my life with Christ's purpose? He, he came, we heard, to bear witness to the truth, to, to bring and to share the light. And what does it look like if I align my, my life with His purpose? Well, I, I start walking in that light. This is the message John says we've heard and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say, we're on God's team. I'm a part of God's people. I'm in line with God's purposes, but I walk in the darkness. Somebody's lying and it's not God. And I'm not practicing the truth. But if I walk in the light as, as He is in the I don't make it. I don't manufacture it. I, on my own, I'm not the light, but I've been shown as a part of His church where to walk. And what sort of hope do I have? The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses me from all sin. It, it's Christ's work. What do I need to do to finish what was started? Well, I have to Listen, I have to participate in Christ's work. There aren't any spectators in Christ's kingdom. No honorary members of Christ's kingdom. Just unworthy participators. Paul wrote to some of them in in the first century, he said, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in, in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your, listen to this, your, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. In verse 9, he, he, he said, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Those weren't super saints. They were just participating in Christ's work. They were, they were living as Christ's possession. There were some in, in the city of Colossae. And, and Paul said, listen, if, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died. You buried that old, selfish, self-centered, sinful, rebellious person. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's your hope. When Christ, 
who is your life. You're, you're His possession and when He appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. On what basis? Simply that I was a part of Christ's body. I was a part of Christ's bride. I was a part of Christ's kingdom by, by grace. And so I'm going to faithfully follow my leader and Savior who, who, who promised some ordinary people 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, be faithful. Like a good subject. Be faithful. Like a healthy member of a body. Be faithful. Like a bride to her bridegroom. And here's your hope. I will give you the crown of life. I will give you a share in my victory. Could I end with you in Colossians chapter 1 and verse, verses 11 and 12? And I, I so appreciate your kind attention this morning. Could I really encourage you to focus on what Paul says here? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11, he speaks of, of the opportunity to be strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience. With joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Can you imagine having a share in the treasures of the Taj Mahal? Can you imagine having just a tiny share in the tolls of the Panama Canal? I had no idea. A little bit of research. The largest cargo ships in the world pay a toll of up to $450,000 to pass through the Panama Canal. How'd you like to have a share in that? Can you imagine having a, a share in the, the Burj Dubai, the, the world's tallest skyscraper? You talk about the good life. What sort of doors to the good life would that open? I hope that our time together has impressed upon you. Even as we sing, the kingdoms of earth pass away one by one. The kingdom of heaven remains. It is built on a rock and the Lord is its king and forever and ever he reigns. The tempest may rage and its anger acclaim. The wind and the torrents may roar. The strong gates of hell may assail it in vain. Still the kingdom shall stand evermore. The kingdom of God is now open to all. 
Even the vilest may now enter in. There's a welcome for all who will turn to the Lord. Full salvation and pardon for sin. Paul in Colossians 1 describes it as having a a share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Friends, there is nothing on earth, nothing in all of the history of the world that can begin to compare with the glory of having a share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's available to you this morning because of what was started in Matthew 16, 18. What will it profit a man, Jesus asked in that same chapter, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What what will you possibly be able to give in exchange for your soul? But because of what was started, 2,000 years later, we're able to sing this great anthem. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And if right here, right now, you are ready to respond to what your Lord accomplished, your Creator did and started in Matthew 16, 18, and we can be of some help, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?